Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Graham McMillan and I are back from the break with a very long look at DC Countdown and its related tie-ins, the manga From the New World and Watakoi, Love is Hard for Otaku, the very latest in comics news regarding DC, Diamond, Marvel, and No Brow Press, a Star War or two, and an assorted topic or couple in this two-hour, ten-minute-plus episode. We welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Chad Lester. Graham McMillan. Howdy. Howdy, indeed. Wait, is that where howdy came from? What do you mean? Like, it's howdy, how are you, and it got, like, bastardized? Maybe? I don't know. Should we? To the internet! Um, Yeah, like, the internet's not gonna lie to us. Yeah, exactly. My understanding is it's a transphobic slur. Um... What is howdy? Here's the the thing, I literally was like, is that true? (laughs) (laughs) You know? Uh, So, uh, howdy means how do you do? Um... It, it's an acronym, or I don't know. This is from InternetSlang.com. So, uh, oh, good old InternetSlang.com. Yes, exactly. Everyone, everyone's favorite website. Mm-hmm. Doesn't spend a few hours on InternetSlang.com every night. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right after InternetSarcasm.org. I founded there. that. Yeah. <laughs> It, look, it took us a long time to get the .org. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like we had to set up like a nonprofit status and everything, and it, it was it took a long time. People were like, "Why? Why would we donate towards sarcasm?" Mm. And I'd be like, "I don't know. Maybe it's a good idea." And they'd be like, ah, "I see what you're doing." Yeah, I I I, I got what you're doing there. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So yes. So how are you? How are you, sir? Um, Apart from sarcastic. Uh, the real answer is I'm fine. Oh, good. Uh, the, the too much information answer includes like, I did something to fuck up my shoulder yesterday Ooh. and, but I didn't realize it. And so I spent maybe an hour or so today being like, I'm so stressed and I'm holding all in one shoulder. Mm. Mm. And then I was like, no, wait, I did this thing yesterday. And I remember at the time thinking, oh, that was a weird feeling. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. So is there anything you're going to do for it? You're not a... You're you're just sort of a suffer through it, right? You're not yeah, going to be like yeah, I'm suffer through it. Like, yeah. why would why would anyone do anything different? <laughs> whereas, whereas, let me tell you, uh, we had some eaves to paint uh, yesterday and today. And yesterday, I was Mister like, okay, let me get up on this ladder. Okay, now I'm rolling the roller across the thing. Okay, now okay, I'm... wait, wait, I'm just gonna say you're all this like at the very start, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. This is like the very start, and then you do it for like two seconds, and you're like, ah, oh, fuck it. Uh, you know, I think I made it about, eh, I mean, more than 45 minutes. So, I mean, technically, I shouldn't be proud of myself because it's barely, we were doing it for two and a half hours. Anyway, all of which is to say, yes, at a certain point, I then proceeded to get incredibly tired and whiny. Um, and then I got to tell you, the last uh, 24 hours or so, I sort of feel like I somehow broke my ass. Like I didn't fall on my butt. I didn't do anything. Oh, so, so you mean literally like 
broke your ass. It, not, not, it's not like a metaphorical, like that broke my ass. Oh, yeah, you, yeah. You actually did something to your posterior. I, yeah, I, I don't think I, I don't, I literally did nothing to my posterior externally, but somehow internally, um, just my hips and, and my ass just ache on the inside. Like kind of a, like, oh, this is great. Hour 12 of the ass cramp continues. So, I mean, I've, Seriously, I I have taken Advil, I've rubbed bombs on my bottom, you know, anything, just anything to make the discomfort go away even slightly and it's not it's not working. So I I'm not a tough it out guy is is the is the proper way to put that in but perspective. Here's the thing, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Whether like me you tough it out and tough it out is completely a terrible misnomer. It's more a combination of laziness mm. and pessimism that nothing will work, mm, mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. opposed to like any sort of like macho thing, right? Well, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, or you know, like you 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 pursue multiple avenues of of potential relief. It's gonna fucking go away when it goes away. That's yes, that's, that's just true. what I've I've again pessimism. That's just what I've come to understand mm-hmm. about such pains. Well, you everything. Uh, yeah. I'd right. be like, no, you fuck you. Yeah, I'm, right. I'm, I'm sticking around. <laughs> Although I, f- I do feel like uh, perhaps, perhaps talking about whether or not how much being macho really is a combination of laziness and pessimism. You know what I mean? Like, I sort of feel like there's a case to be made for it. You know? You think? Because it all seems like it takes so much effort to be macho. To like pretend. Oh yeah. Well, I mean that's. I mean, that's sort of the dream, right? Like the people in life who it's are really – Well, yeah. No, the the whole – like the movies have <clears throat> this idea that the – the you know, that true world weariness is is not about putting, putting things on. You know what I mean? Like one of the things that's pretty great is uh, the other night um, – uh, I, I have a subscription to Shudder, and one of the things that I, I do love about Shudder, it's an on-demand horror service, is uh, is that it has a streaming channel where it's like if you log into the website or, you know, as I think most of us do, if you open up uh, the, the channel in your Roku player, it instantly starts on, in, in Roku, at least one of three live streaming um, movies. I, I mm-hmm. guess live streaming is maybe not the best way to phrase it, but it's it's basically like watching TV. A movie's yeah. playing and you can't pause it or anything. So um, the other night, two or three nights ago, uh, you know, Edie turned on the TV to find something for us to watch. And I had left it on shutter or something. And she's like, huh, Escape from New York. Is this a horror movie? And I was like, oh my god, Escape from New York. <laughs> like, drop everything. Exactly. So it, it was only about mm, uh, maybe 10, 15 minutes in. I don't even think that much, basically, because Snake Plissken hadn't even showed up. Anyway, it was awesome to watch that film, and it was great watching it with Edie. She was like, ah, that was, uh, that was good. Yeah, that was a good film. Yeah, you know. Whereas I'm just like, you know, saying like, no, you, when I was 15, when this first came out, this was 
the shit and rewatching yeah. it of course it's it's great it's such a it's such a good fun movie but and and fun in a very dark grim way but you know it, it, unbelievably watchable and Kurt Russell as Snake Plissken is one of those dudes who just kind of radiates in that movie he's just you know what i mean like there's not it's precisely the he's the most macho because he's not trying to be exactly. macho it's well that that's the dream right the dream is the people who are and it's not even necessarily macho i i could be wrong i don't think it's macho as much as like it's the unstudied cool yeah Right. right. Mm-hmm. It's the idea that, like, they're not trying at all, but you still are just like, holy shit, they're amazing. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Which is hilarious because, I mean, when you think about it, it's they're actually so cool. You're like, yeah, yeah, wait, why doesn't he need sleeves? You know what I mean? Like, there's a little bit of the, huh, so he has, he's got his sleeveless shirt and perfect arms, but he's not showing off. Like, you buy it, but at the same time, you're like, but thinking about it now, I'm like, mm, of course he's got the eye patch. Anyway, <laughs> the eye patch is all you need. Yeah, that's all you need is the eye patch. Yeah, it's true. It's tr- oh, I should start doing that. That would be great. Um, yeah, it was it was awesome watching that movie. It was awesome watching it with Edie, and and uh, hopefully listeners will get this. Um, you might not, but at one point Edie turns to me and she's like why does he look like the guy from Metal Gear Solid? And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) and you're like, you're seeing it in reverse. Uh, Exactly. Exactly. She watched me play Metal Gear Solid games for so long and then saw this and was like, oh, so this was an influence. I'm like, oh my God, this is so great. Um, I have movies to talk about, I guess. With comics, we got comics news. We got so much to talk about, Graham McMillan, I think. Uh, I, well, first of all, I'm curious. What have you read? Because anyone who's been paying attention to the way about Tumblr will know that I've been reading bad comics. Yeah. I went down a bad comics hole. And Jeff, I like – I've I've stayed down there for quite a while. <laughs> uh, I read all of Countdown to Final Crisis, Good which then Lord. made me go, I should read the spinoff series. Ooh. And so I've read Countdown Arena. I've read Countdown Presents Lord Havoc and the whatever they're fucking called. The ex- Countdown Presents The Search for Ray Palmer, which is genuinely stunning for reasons that I'll get back to. Um, Count, what else was there? There was, uh, there was The Death of the New Gods, their Salvation Run. Mm. Uh, I then sort of, like, for literally no reason other than I was like, oh, well, I'm kind of reading this, so I'll read this. Um, the first like couple of story arcs of Bill Williams' uh, Shadow Pact. Wow. Uh, no, really, I, I, I went down a, a you know, mid-2000s DC mm. uh, rabbit hole, and I, and I, I'd like to say I'm better for the experience, <laughs> but there's literally no way that's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, well, it's interesting. I feel like just a few months ago uh, with us sort of saying uh, a lot of good things about Dan DiDio and sort of his, you know, the the positive side of some of his complex legacy at DC. I feel overall, I feel like you really delving into a lot of that. I, I really perhaps correctly or incorrectly sh- uh, assume that a lot of that is... Dan DiDio's sort of micromanaging his 
master plans and kind of screwing yeah, things up, right? It's or no? so weird. So when you read it all like in a chunk and in a concentrated chunk, uh-huh. and I say it all like I'm reading, you know, upwards of 70 comics. Yeah, that's a you know, ton. Yeah. In like a week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you you get to appreciate, like, you genuinely do get to appreciate it on a different level. Mm-hmm. In that, like, the macro of it all becomes very clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the drawback of it is, you like, the flaws are just hideously more apparent. Right. You know? So the macro that I appreciate is you can tell that they actually were trying to have a quote-unquote coherent universe. Mm-hmm. You know, things – the problem with Countdown to Final Crisis or one of the problems with Countdown to Final Crisis, the problem that I, I think ultimately does it in is it doesn't really have any stories that belong to that series mm. because they keep spinning things out mm. mm-hmm. and keep on like tying in with other things. Like, for example, the first quarter, mm-hmm. arguably the inciting incidents are the death of Bart Allen, which happens in a different book. Mm. And also, it's never actually referenced. It, like, it's referenced, but it's never actually explained. Hmm. Um, and the arrival of Karate Kid from the future, which happens in Justice League and Justice Society. Hmm. And again, that's never actually properly explained. Hmm. Right? And and that's that just keeps happening. You know, so all of a sudden, they're referencing Amazon's attack. But there's nothing where it says something like, read Amazon's attack. You know, you just have characters really? going, now that these Amazons have attacked, <laughs> that's, that's the big story about here. Uh, and that's that's what happens all the way through the 51 fucking issues. Oof. Right? And there are stories that are quote-unquote unique to Countdown to Final Crisis. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, that's not true. Native to, I should say. Mm-hmm. As in, they start there. Mm-hmm. But they then don't end there. Wow. So, like, theoretically... Donna Troy and and Jason Todd and Kyle Rayner traveling the multiverse looking for Ray Palmer. Mm-hmm. It's a countdown to Final Crisis plot. In mm-hmm. that it begins there and it ends there. Mm-hmm. But it has this spin-off one-shot, which literally has no reason to exist. Mm-hmm. Like, that's... The only thing I can think of is they wanted to, like, sell another issue of a comic. Mm-hmm. You know, because it doesn't advance the plot in any way. It doesn't advance the story in any way. It doesn't do anything. Um, and it also, again, is not referenced in Countdown mm. at all. Hmm. You know, it's not like, well, if you want to see where they go here, read this book. Nope. Hmm. Nope, not at all. It just happens. Same with Countdown Arena. Countdown Arena is four issues of multiverse versions of the same character fighting. Right. So that they have a mon- monarch's army. Mm-hmm. And... That's never referenced in Countdown. Wow, really? Yeah, it's there's so much of it. There's uh, there's Death of the New Gods, which is Jim Starlin's eight issue thing, right? Which in theory is leading up to the fact that all the New Gods are dead at the start of Final Crisis, right. and also tying into the fact that the New Gods are being killed in Countdown to Final Crisis. Mm-hmm. However, it literally doesn't connect. With mm. the stories being told in either story. Mm-hmm. And Countdown and, and Final Crisis contradict each other really badly as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, Darkseid gets defeated like three times, three different ways. Orion dies three different ways. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's just, it's, it, you know, for something that is born from Let's Have Them All Tell One Story, mm-hmm. it's genuinely shocking that they didn't manage to get them to tell one story. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like the lack of communication between editorial offices is breathtaking. Mm. Genuinely breathtaking. The fact that also none of these stories are particularly interesting or good <laughs> kind of staggering. Um, and they all, none of them make sense for the characters that they, they, they appear in them, mm. if that makes sense. Uh, like Harley Quinn and Holly, Selena Kyle's friend, like both end up in an, an Amazonian shelter mm-hmm. where these. They decide that they're going to become acolytes of Athena, but it's not Athena, it's Granny Goodness. Mm. And so they go to Paradise Island, where Granny Goodness has somehow taken over, mm-hmm. and then they fight back. And all of a sudden, both of them are basically like Amazon-level warriors. Mm. And it's like, but, but why? What? Who? Like, why is... What has happened to these characters? Right, right. You know, the Mary Marvel one is... Arguably the most out of character, apart from maybe the Ray Palmer one, which is nuts. Uh, you didn't read any of the comics, right? No, I did not. I did. So do you remember in in Infinite Crisis, Brother Eye is basically reinvented as he's been created by Batman. Right. And uh, he's like a satellite that Max Lord then took over and like the, the AI has, has kind of gone psychotic. Right. And it's creating nanotechnology OMAX. Mm-hmm. So, Countdown to Final Crisis, released like a year later, <laughs> decides, let's retcon the shit out of this. Oh, no. What? And the person who actually created Brother Eye was, you're going to shit yourself, Jeff. <laughs> Buddy Blank, the scientist, who's working for a Wayne Tech subsidiary called Pseudo People Incorporated. What? Oh. But get this. Brother Eye has an ulterior motive. <laughs> And his ulterior motive is that it knows that there's an infection coming from across the multiverse that is going to wipe out all of humanity. And it basically wants that to happen so that it can, like, take over. Here's the two gimmies that are amazing even inside that. Yeah. One, patient zero of this virus is Karate Kid from the 31st century who has it as a dormant gene. Gimme number two. The reason Ray Palmer is missing from Earth, whatever it's called. Earth, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. It's the Earth one. I think it's New Earth or Prime Earth. It's because Ray Palmer, so upset after what happened in in Identity Crisis, Mm -hmm. left that Earth, just so happened to run into a magician that told him about the multiverse. Then... Completely off-panel, learned how to travel the multiverse by himself. He <laughs> found a world where he met himself. He didn't even meet himself. He discovered himself. And the Ray Palmer of that world had the cure to this virus. But the Ray Palmer of that world then blew up in front of our Ray Palmer, who then decided to take his place and travel across the multiverse, seeding the cure in different Earths. What? Wow. Wow exploded it kind of has i mean it's it 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 is it's astounding at multiple levels not the least of which is it just it just kind of sounds like gibberish you know i mean it sort of sounds like um yeah it kind of like i don't know like if dan didio had had met the south soft franchise you know and just locked a bunch of people in a room until their brains cracked and they just started saying whatever they thought he wanted to hear so that he would set them free. I mean, 
there's there's like five different levels of ludicrousness there to say yes. n- nothing of the all the off panel hand waving but like yeah it's i mean it, the level of coincidence is mm-hmm. shocking mm. shocking also the reason that donna and jason todd and kyle rayner are looking for rape armor is that a monitor has appeared to say that he is he has to be um, found in order to save the multiverse, mm. uh, and also the source has also said this, like the the Kirby source. Really, like the hand so, on the wall was like yes. Ray Palmer has, has also decided this. Okay, <laughs> all right. But get this: that monitor is evil, and he's actually searching so he can kill Ray Palmer. <laughs> Because I guess he wants, like, all life to be wiped out. Who the fuck knows? Who the fuck knows? Also, in the early issues of of this series, Darkseid is the one making a plan behind all of this. Mm -hmm. And by the end, that's, like, kind of true. But it's only kind of true in that someone clearly went, oh, shit, we said Darkseid was the big bad guy. Um, Let's just pretend he is is really behind this altogether. Right. Probably. Uh, yeah, it's, it's nuts. There's a whole plot about Jimmy Olsen is randomly getting superpowers. Right. And it's then revealed that the reason he's randomly getting superpowers is when the new gods die, their life essences go into him. Right? So he's getting random superpowers because he's getting receiving the life essences of, of, of the new gods, which they say ultimately is Darkseid's plan because he's then going to take life essences from Jimmy. Ah. The problem with this is, in Final Crisis, all the new gods have been reborn mm-hmm. as as like regular people mm-hmm. who don't know what they are, mm-hmm. with the exception of the bad guys, mm-hmm. right? And that had started before Countdown because we saw in the Mister Miracle series that was part of Seven Soldiers three years prior. Yes, so it makes no sense. Mm. Yeah, to put it mildly, it makes no sense. I uh, so tell me a little bit more about this Ray Palmer thing, because is it? I don't know why, for whatever reason, I'm fixated on that part. But uh, which, which part? So Ray Palmer ends up on Earth fifty one, right? Which is a world where it's perfect, it's utopia, because the, the superheroes who are like the traditional Justice League for all intents and purposes mm-hmm. um, have defeated all crime. Mm. All crime, because of course they have. Of course they have, right. Um, thanks to it's it's sort of suggested in part like Ray being there. Mm. Ray is like scientific genius and he has helped them do this. Then at a point where it becomes useful to the plot, it's revealed that what's actually happened is Batman is psychopathic and has been killing criminals. And no <laughs> one talks to Batman anymore. But this only happens after the Justice League has been killed by the evil monitor. <sighs> Man. Yeah. Because of course it does, um, and so Ray is is like I'm really upset, but I will travel between worlds to find the cure for this sickness, which is called something like the Morticus virus or something like that. I can't even remember. Huh. It's, it's it's really not good. Oh, but guess where Buddy and his nephew end up? Oh, sorry, it's his grandson. Oh, uh, Buddy Buddy Baker? Uh, no, Buddy Blank. Oh. Right, Buddy, Buddy Blank. Blank, the scientist who invented Brother Eye. Right, right. Yeah, guess, guess where? He, guess where they end up? Oh, right. They end up in Command D, right? Yes, they end up in a bunker called Command D. Right, right. Because the, of course, heavy implication is that the grandson, grandson is grows up to be Command D. Right. Yes. Right, right, right. 
shit. It's yeah. exhausting. It's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I, I kept, like, like I was an addict, I just kept fucking reading the shit. Wow. Like, reading. Th- there was a reason I started reading. Yes. Um, which is uh, actually something I can't talk about because I don't think it's public. Wow. But I was doing a research for something. I see. I see. But it metastasized something awful. So speaking of metastasizing something awful, one thing I sort of realized, and, and maybe this isn't actually a, a, a an appropriate comparison, but would you, would you say that there's sort of a rough analogy between, say, 52 and Countdown as there is between Secret Wars and Secret Wars 2? Because you know, no. how, you know how. No, I I know what you're saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying. but you're also um, saying no, which is good. I'm also saying no. Uh-huh. There's there's a couple of reasons. One, I think Secret Wars two ultimately suffers from Jim Shooter's ambition and complete inability to to fulfill that ambition, mm-hmm. and I feel that he drags everyone else along with him. Mm-hmm. And Countdown Final Crisis, for all intents and purposes, is a group project. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Didio isn't even writing it. Mm-hmm. You know. Paul Dini is the head writer. Right. Uh, and Keith Giffen comes in as quote-unquote a story consultant for a long time. Right. Um, and, and, and no, it, it's – the other thing that really – I feel Countdown completely disrupts the DC universe more than Secret Wars 2 ultimately does. Hmm. Wow. I think Secret, well, I think Secret Wars 2 really just – like there's a couple of crossover issues, but for the most part, series are allowed to get on with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And this, like, just it's it simultaneously jumps to, you know, characters that no one is using, mm-hmm. but also like fucking kills off the new gods, right? You know, and also Countdown to Final Crisis is literally, in theory, a prologue to an event, right? You know, and it it fails on every level. Mm-hmm. It's not a prologue to the event it's meant to be a prologue to. Right. It's not a good story in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, it it's it tries to. Secret Wars 2 hijacked other other comics, mm-hmm. and Countdown is hijacked by other comics. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. So so you don't think that the, some of those threads in, uh, like, uh, you don't think that Amazon's attack, say, was like another DiDio-mandated event that he wanted tied into Countdown? Cause oh, it, it, it 100% was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am... Um, cursed with a memory that reminds me that Amazon's attack was actually supposed to be a title for Countdown to Infinite Crisis. Mm. It never happened. Mm. Uh, and they just presumably just pushed it until they're like, okay, now we can do it. Mm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Amazon's attack meant to be uh, as part originally part, or was I think even announced as a Countdown to Infinite Crisis title. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's... Um, it's just, uh, but at the same time, like you've read Death of the New Gods, right? Uh, I think that I have, although it's such a long time ago. I don't remember. I may not have read the whole thing. I think I might have picked up the last two issues or something. Now that the New Gods were getting to die in by the end, there, but uh... yeah, it, it's um, it's terrible. It's very <laughs> no, but it's it's it's, uh, it's very Jim Starlin. Right. And you can't get too mad at Jim Starlin for doing, like, the most Jim Starlin uh, – it sounds like a strange thing to say, but, like, the most Jim Starlin good faith attempt to wrap up what Kirby was doing. Yeah, that's kind of what it that, felt like. I mean, to uh, me, yeah. No, it, it, it 
firmly is. Mm-hmm. And like now that I've read more Starlin, I can completely recognize it as that, which I didn't before. Mm. Um, but it also sort of underscores the extents to which like Starlin and Kirby just don't are not in the same plane. Mm. Mm-hmm. I feel like Starlin is is much more of a pessimist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think than, that's than true. Kirby. Right. Uh, right. Uh, or, or nihilist, maybe. Uh, he's he's much more. They both like to work in like grand operatic terms, mm-hmm. but they're very different operatic terms. Yes, and they both like to do silly things, but their choice of silly things are also very different. <laughs> you know, like very early on, Death of New Gods, uh, Big Bard is murdered, mm-hmm. right? And how does how does Mister Miracle respond by changing the color of his costume? Because the circus colors are too garish. So he spends the rest of the series in his costume, but now it's black and purple. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's dumb. That's objectively <laughs> dumb. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's not the sort of dumb that Kirby would have ever done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? It's it's just, yeah, it's it's such a... Uh, it's a series I definitely appreciated much more. And honestly, I appreciated much more having seen it in the context of like everything else that they're doing for for countdown to final crisis right but it's um boof yeah (laughs) wow well that sounds uh now just out of curiosity uh did you do all of this reading through uh dc universe the app or okay i and i i can't recommend other people do it i just can't (laughs) Uh, there are definitely things to read. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I was going to say, is there is there interesting stuff in all of it? I don't know. But the things like, for example, Salvation Run is interesting even as it's completely a failure. Mm-hmm. But it's an interesting failure. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, there's something in the idea of Super villains are are just dumped on another planet and have to form society. Mm-hmm. Like there there's 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 a potential there. They do fuck all with the potential. Mm. Like fuck all with it. Um, on on every level, you don't. There's not really anything in the other books going. Where have all the super villains gone? Right. You know, you would think that would be a plot point. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's not. Um. And they also don't really do anything with, like, you know, they play up the, well, yeah, you know, Lex Luthor has his tribe and Vandal Samage has his tribe and, the, the, you know, the Joker has his tribe. But they don't really do anything with it. Mm. And this, this is ultimately so short. It's only seven issues. Wow. That, that, you know, they basically set up the tribes and then they're like, time to go home. <laughs> who, who wrote it? And, and, they, and they get to go home. It's uh, it's a couple of people. It's Brian, uh, Bill Willingham writes the first two issues, oh. and then Bales, mm. and then it's uh, Lila Sturgis for the the remainder of the series. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it's done. Um, mm. so yeah, it, and then it's done. Right. Uh, and but it does like and it, and the the resolution of you know they're trapped in this this planet is pretty much just and then they get together and build a machine and go home. But there's there's a subplot about Martian Manhunters there because Batman was wondering where have all the supervillains gone and he basically sent Martian Manhunter to infiltrate the villains and Martian Manhunter's like, Oh we like the heroes didn't know this was happening. Hmm. Like it's terrible. I don't know where we are either. Hmm. And that plot goes 
utterly nowhere. Wow. They capture Martian Manhunter, they leave him in a cage on fire, and the end of the series is he's still left there on the planet when everyone else leaves. What? Wow. <laughs> Jesus. So is did anyone ever explain how he got from there to the opening yes, there's, pages there's, of... there's a panel in, in Final Crisis, mm. where, which is basically like a boom tube open and he flies through. But it's mm. it's like it makes no sense. Wow, like it's 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 a plot that makes no sense. And considering that you know, Marsh Magnetor literally comes home to get killed. Yes, in Final Crisis. Yeah, like who? All I can think is, everyone thought they knew what was coming in Final Crisis. Mm-hmm. We're told these are the characters we're playing with. This is the broad strokes, and then either Grant Morrison completely changed his mind, or there was a terrible game of telephone where no one understood. Right. Right. Well, I think, I mean, that's certainly the way I feel like Morrison sort of presents it in interviews that he sort of laid out the broad strokes of what he was going to do. And more or less, you know, DiDio was like, great, we'll set it all up for you. And then, you know, essentially stole all of the points. And yeah, I mean, did like shitty versions of it or just fucked it all up anyway. So yeah, it's it's absolutely. I mean, it's it's there's so much. It, it's fascinating, and there's a weird thing about it as well that I found myself appreciating the idea that they are trying to tell a story that moves these various things forward. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. you could arguably say that everything post Blackest Night maybe mm-hmm. has been either retreads of previous stories or desperately trying to keep the status quo, the status quo, mm-hmm. or restoring the status quo. Mm-hmm. You know, Flashpoint is, it's an alternate universe. No, we've reset the universe. Mm-hmm. It's night, for that matter, is everyone's dead has come back to life and ends with all those characters you love to are dead have come back to life. Right. Like, keep resetting, restoring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for all that Countdown is is bad, and it's very bad, mm-hmm. there is at least a desire to, to do something, quote-unquote, new. Mm-hmm. You know, even if, like, you know, the new is the final issue of Countdown – Body Blank gets zapped by Brother Eye and becomes Omak, but he looks like Kirby's Omak. Mm. You know, out of nowhere. And, but he has the ability to change back and forth from himself to, like, Omak. He controls that change. Mm. You know, it's yeah. just, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of... And you never see that character again, do you? Never. Yeah. You never see that again. And I want to say uh, that Morrison, like, tries to explain some of this away in, in Final Crisis by talking about, like, timelines being weird. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. We're all singularity or something. Yes, uh, exactly. But, like, there are characters introduced in Countdown that are meant to be big deals mm-hmm. that you never saw again. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a forerunner is like this, you know, she's a badass, she's deadly, she's morally ambiguous. She makes it through the series and then you never see her again. They introduce a, a new version of... God, what's the bug character called from you gods? Uh, just Bug, isn't it? Is it Bug? Yeah, is Bug Micronauts? Is he called Bug in, in... Uh, yeah, no, I think, I think, I think, um, I think New Gods Bug was first, or Forager. Sometimes I think he's also known as Forager, but I swear it's to Forager. God. For, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Forager, right. Forager's what they call him the character. Oh, okay. Interesting new version of Forager. Mm-hmm. Never up again. Wow. You know, uh, the, the Monarch storyline comes from out of nowhere i mean it's not out of nowhere it's been set up in other books but like it makes no sense Mm -hmm. uh because it's literally and again 
I know this because I'm a fucking idiot. It's literally paying off a plotline from Extreme Justice in the mid nineties. Oh my god! Right, wow. exactly. But Jesus. like that, that just kind of disappears after this as well. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. um, and so it's this really weird mix of I don't know, like favorite characters or fan favorite characters that they felt they should use, but they didn't know how to use them, or or you know these characters are lying around and maybe we should do something with them. It's, it, it, it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. It, it, so much of it is inexplicable. And you know me, I find that stuff weirdly compelling. Mm-hmm. So I've read 70 fucking issues of this shit. <laughs> you know, oh, and, and the weird insistence that this stuff is very important and exciting is also fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think there's, um, you know, uh, one of the things that we appreciate about about somebody like Steve Englehart would be the way that he would, you know, if he was working for DC now or at some point in the future, he would probably resurrect half that shit to to bring it forward or do something with it. You know, like I'm always it is sort of fun when stuff kind of crashes and burns in the background to see who ends up picking it up yeah who who ends up doing something with it right right? yeah i'm part of the problem with the continual like restoration of dc as existed in what late 70s early 80s is that it does away with like the weird failures subsequently yes right well like no one is ever going to mention forerunner or or any of the the countdown characters again and honestly why should they they're weird and like gelatinous failures Mm -hmm. but there is like you said, you know, in the olden days, oh, we're so old. And it, but like in the past, mm-hmm. you have an Engelhart or or someone like a Morrison, right? Bring them back mm-hmm. and go. This is a character that only I remember, right. but I think they're cool. Exactly, exactly. And that that when you continually just try and focus down on, you know, who's cool? Hal Jordan. You know, who's cool? Barry Allen. Mm-hmm. That you you do sadly lose a lot of fun from the universe. Yeah, I think so. I do think so. Although hmm, I, there are times where I feel, uh, I, I mean, I feel like DC sort of has to, I mean, they had better luck. I think of course, reinventing their characters with the legacy with Wally and Kyle and things, but you know, once they decided, no, 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 this has to be Hal Jordan and this has to be Barry and whatever, I think you sort of start getting into this point. Like DC, uh, to go back to what we were talking about earlier, for a lot of us, Batman is effortlessly cool and everyone else, you just get the extent they're kind of trying too hard, you know? And I don't think that that's... Whereas I, I think you're right. I think that part of the what attracts a lot of people to the well i don't know for sure i i should say what attracted me to the dc universe was the fact that it was such a ridiculously cluttered toy box you know yeah i I think we talked about that both loving that anniversary issue of or was it the hundredth issue of showcase right yes yes where it's like let's try and use all the characters who've ever appeared here and it's just a fucking mess it's a mess but it's also kind of a me yeah exactly it's a glorious mess because it gets to the point where they're literally jamming people 
you know, around the corners of every panel and half of them are just weird. You know, it's like Dolphin and the Sea Devils and who's the who's the yellow guy with his like blue alien bug friend? Was that just Space Ranger? Oh, Space Ranger. Yeah. Yeah, just... but they've also got like, you know, Fireman Jim or whatever right. his name is. Exactly. Exactly. The firefighter dude. And of course, again, Sea Devils. Great stuff, the Sea Devils. Like they were diving dudes. You know what I mean? Like it was just Anyway, so part of what I love about DC Universe is kind of the um, rummaging around in the toy box. I think that's part of the reason why it's been so delightful to read um, these reprints of first issue special, you know, on DC Universe. Because some of them are just outright crap, you know, but there's still kind of this fun thing of like, wow, I wonder, I wonder if anyone did end up you you know because there's this issue was joe simon's the outsiders uh this week uh got put up on dc universe yeah. which i had never read and i was like holy cow like you know it, it's simon and grandietti they did you know first they they do prez and which somehow ends up being the best of their comics together, exactly. you know, it ends up being like the mainstream one. Yes. Which is insane because then you get like the green team. And by the time you get to the outsiders, you're just like, I, I mean, honestly, that read like it honestly read like Joe Simon read the first issue of fantastic four and was like, Oh yeah. I, oh, okay. I got this and didn't, and didn't. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's... And, and like, didn't actually understand what anyone liked about the Fantastic Four. No, no, exactly, exactly. I mean, that's part of what's sort of charming about the Outsiders is is reading something where you're like, I don't even feel like the people creating this are like this. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so... I don't think anyone is interested in this, and yet it becomes compelling because of that. And you're right; like, DC is full of that. And first issue special as a series is fucking full of that. Oh, Lady yeah. Pop, Jeff. Yes! Oh, God, Lady Cop is fucking phenomenal. Codename Assassin is next week, and I'm still the only guy who's, like, at, in, well, me and James Robinson, into Codename Assassin, you know? It's just... The, but, yeah, Lady Cop, the first issue of Warlord by Mike Grell, which, of course, is, like, by, like just kind of bulky and weirdly paced, but is so heads and tales above most of the other first issue special stuff that it's not yeah, a surprise yeah. that it got its own book but you know there's just stuff in there i mean i say all this but there's that issue of metamorpho by bob haney and ramona Fraden that just is i mean it's bob haney but it is yeah, exactly. so beautiful. Was, it's bob haney and ramona Fraden, like yeah. doing metamorpho and it's fucking great yeah like that that is that is up there for me next to like ditko's creeper Mm -hmm. or or you know um kirby's yeah. demon right like right. it's one of those things where you're like somehow this just all works yeah and it probably shouldn't but this just all work like this is amazing yeah yeah uh, yeah it's such a weirdo mix of stuff anyway so yeah i think that, i think that i think you have a great point is is that as dc sort of you know buckles down and is like these are the heroes that you're supposed to care about like you kind of wish that they had the ability to, I don't know, you know, kind of let 
us decide, you know, because yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's one of those things that, that Marvel is, you know, it, at least up to a point, it was sort of, it was sort of evolutionary. I mean, then it totally became stagnant, but I think for someone, I, got, like, I would say through to like the nineties. Yeah. Right. I think so. I, I think right up through the 90s, because that's very much that point where you still had creators coming in and being like, oh, boy, here's the nine characters that I really want to create. And and now I'm going to go to Image and recreate them because I'm not seeing any money from this. But, you know, but up until that point, what's kind of wild is, is that if you look at like for better or for worse, I think the fact that the Fantastic Four are kind of not so central to their own universe in a way is sad but it's also a a sign that things have changed i mean you know you may not like where it changed but if people like deadpool and punisher and venom like those are all characters that didn't well i was gonna say i mean punisher did but like you know it's true though i think you get to like the mid 90s Mm -hmm. and then like marvel starts stagnating Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know but like all the way up to then even stuff that i don't like mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. you get uh you, uh you get a lot of like the image-esque creators but you also get all of a sudden people being like why don't we give the prowler a book right you know why don't we give you know the the um what was it stingers like this the one that spun out of i of spider-man oh, was it slingers was it Sling- so maybe it was slingers. i think it was cut for web slingers i always sort of yeah stopped, yeah but like you you yeah. ca- you have different ideas and different concepts being tried mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and then then that sort of stops and again the consolidation starts mm-hmm. and you get you know you then cut to um the the casada james era mm-hmm. and you get like a creative freedom right kind of see some of that come back but also doesn't because you know they're also like well matt murdoch is daredevil and we're going to do the classic you know we're going to do a classic run mm-hmm. and they get very self-conscious and that's why someone like morrison didn't really fit in with that mm-hmm. because morrison was like i'm doing new things and they were like uh okay we get that but could you also make this like new reader friendly right uh, and appealing to people who just want the big names mm-hmm you know, which is why something like the Ultimates and something like New X Men are very different, right? Right. You know, because the Ultimates is it's Captain America and Iron Man and Thor, mm-hmm. and you can pick this up and like, sure, they're extreme, but it's these characters. Mm-hmm. And then New X Men, you know, Grant Morrison's like, what if Cyclops is a complete fuck up? Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, what if the characters actually die? And what if like Magneto's had a nervous breakdown and is actually going to get killed at the end because he's outlived his usefulness? Right. Right. And that, that that just didn't fly. But you did have some level of of renaissance, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure when... I'm genuinely not sure when, like, the, the DC... Where DC started to stagnate. Right. Because you could make an argument that it started before that. You can make an argument that started in, like, the uh, 90s? Like, late 90s? Hmm. You know? Because there was the whole, like, you know, new Silver Age thing, remember? Gosh, I don't like, think I do. Horses JLA and Wade's mm-hmm. Flash, right? And, and uh, Robinson and and Goyer, and then I think it was Goyer and and Johns's JSA. JSA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, was very much like a sort of like aha, it's the good stuff, but reborn, right? Um, and that 
I mean, I love that stuff. I genuinely love that stuff. But it, there is a sort of like new classicism about there where well, it's stuck feeling like it's looking backwards a lot. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I see your point. I think that part of what I think that I think that what helps is they um, were for the most part all kind of doing things in DC that were kind of about playing it forward. You know what I mean? Like taking taking characters that they liked or they thought were cool, but but I, don't, I you know it's funny because on the one hand I totally know what you mean by that, but by that new Silver Age, but the but the trick was also I felt maybe part of it was it worked like both Morrison and Wade and I think also Johns dug the flash as a character, but he didn't have to be Barry Allen. Like the, the, I think when, depending on how you look at it, the sort of that, that neoclassicism was really about people kind of wisely saying like the DC is about legacy, like the silver age, which really sort of restarts um, DC has baked in it this whole nod to the previous golden age of the characters you know admittedly it's like oh i read this character in a comic book or something like that so you know it it takes a while before they they make it explicit but then by the time that they do there's that idea of like well the dc universe is a continuum and i think one of the things that i liked about that was I mean, I remember reading uh, Goyer and Johns' JSA, and part of what I liked about it is is that it seemed as much like um, Infinity Incorporated without its head up its ass as much as it seemed like, you know, a JSA comic. You know sure, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so, and that seemed to be, it, it kind of felt like they had sort of hit on this this idea of having things change um, was a way to weirdly bring things back. So, so at least you kind of had a little bit of the feeling of like the status quo is changing, you know, the status quo is back and it's being celebrated, but it's also different or it's different enough. Yeah. Yeah, It's evolving. Which, which, you know, to be fair, I think Morrison did a lot of that in JLA. Yeah. You know, where he's like, it's kind of the JLA, you know, but it's not because it's Wally and it's Kyle and it's it's Connor. And because Hogman is actually an angel. Right. Well, or even you know? I think the thing that I thought – one of the things I always appreciated is, is knowing that Morrison was a big Superman fan and getting Superman into his electric blue era um, didn't really seem to phase Morrison at all. You know, yeah. he was kind of like – well, he's still sort of he, you know, he may have different powers, but he's kind of he's got the same character. He can play the same role, you know. There was yeah, he's a, still Superman. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So he, it just, I think that that was there was a little bit of a it to me. It showed a lot of flexibility, and I feel like that's sort of what you want. I mean, again, I. Uh, people, longtime listeners to the podcast know I'm really. Uh, 
believe that that superhero universes can only work for so long and then you know they they either calcify or they fall apart but they only have so long before you more or less unless you are able to keep pumping in new characters and new ideas which means at a certain point that you have to have creator participation like it just doesn't after a while things just solidify and it's it becomes an entropic heat death sort of situation where every exchange gets played up and and i think that's one of the i remember feeling incredibly um charmed and yet suspicious of uh jeff Loeb on superman and superman batman where he was kind of um you know, the shameless part of Jeff Loeb that was kind of like, oh yeah, I'm just going to bring back crypto. And everyone's like, but you can't, he doesn't make any sense in that universe. It's like, uh-huh, sure, he's back. You know, and kind of like that. It's like, oh, now Lex Luthor's in his superpowers outfit. Oh shit, what are you going to do? And there, there is, um, I, f- I feel like part of the thing that that is rough about DC is, you know, they kept they they managed to get a certain amount of juice out of reinventing the wheel after they reset the status quo and i think that that's i really felt that with the new 52 where it's like oh who's joker going to be this time you know and even now i sort of feel like dc one of the things i appreciate about dc rebirth is how much it wasn't a reboot but of course as time goes on you can a definitely feel the reboot coming and also mm-hmm. the way in which um again kind of like countdown you know people were just ignoring stuff that wasn't working and i don't think that that's i mean i i was just raised in a completely different way about that where it's like you mm-hmm. don't come up with anything half as awkward as what you ended up doing to transition to Brian Bendis's Superman from the Superman title that you had before, you know, like there's just, or I guess really the, the, the transition from, was it post convergence Superman? Was it really yes. after convergence yes. that they brought yeah, back? The, like, a, yeah. The, the, the first like year of rebirth is, is a fucking disaster. Right. Because they've killed off the new 52 Superman and it's, it's convergence Superman. Who's actually Superman from pre flashpoints mm-hmm. who's ended up in this timeline but then he assumes the place of the dead Superman, and then Mister Mixopidlik shows up and is like, "I'm going to merge you together," and it's like, "Oh, what? <laughs> Fuck no, what? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a fucking disaster." One of the things I like about um, everything I've heard about, like death metal, and or rather, really post death metal, mm-hmm. is um, is that it's it's rebirth writ large, mm-hmm. which is to say, everything counts. Mm-hmm. everything's back on the table mm-hmm. uh, and we'll make our decisions slowly coming from that. But basically everything, everything you, you get to pick and choose what works. Cause right. honestly, that's what kind of worked about rebirth for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was not a fan of like, I am young, edgy, emo, green arrow. And just basically right. like not commenting on the fact that they've aged him up. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That did work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I don't know. It 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 worked for me. 
Well, that's that's great. I think it's fascinating seeing you sort of sift through the ruins of uh, Countdown. Um, I, I yeah, like I said, it was kind of accidental, but it, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, I it was a whole thing. <laughs> yes, and we spent an hour talking about it. Oh Jesus, no! Oh God! Oh, I'm so sorry, everyone. <laughs> Especially. We were talking about Infinite Crisis a couple of episodes ago. Yeah, so that's yeah but that was maybe part of it is is like I'm like, yeah, but I felt like I had focused things to say about that, Graham. Instead, this one, I'm just kind of like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then occasionally chipping in very smart comments like, Batman is cool. <laughs> Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you for your ongoing support. Uh, <laughs> so, Graham McMillan, I uh, I saw Star Wars this week. I... I um. We finally, in the midst of our, our lockdown captivity, uh, shelled out to watch uh, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. And it's a shame because we did it early enough in the week that I was like, oh, shit, I got a bunch of stuff to tell Graham. And, of course, now four or five days later, I'm like, uh, it was Thing, I guess. Like, I almost wanted to rewatch it because it, it. No. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, not pay to rewatch it, but I but it does say something about that movie that it it like we paid for it. It was like you have 48 hours to watch this film. And of course, we watched it the first 2 hours, 2 and a half yeah. hours or whatever. And then I was like, yeah, maybe I should rewatch that. To no, nah, I'm not going to do that. That Yes. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that's funny cuz I I I'm not looking to pay money for it, but I was like, I wonder when it's going to appear in Disney Plus. Like I want to see it again. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to spend money on it. Mhm. Well, I probably should have seen it when I could have re re-saw it for free. I have to admit, also what was uh, at least I was at least mildly baked when I saw it, and I have to say, when you're mildly baked, it's not a bad movie. I mean, you know, it was. It's, here's the thing: it's not a bad movie, and I'm judging it on a different criteria from everyone else, which is like if you think of Star Wars as three trilogies, the last film's always shit. Yeah, I, well, that really, that really got, sort of brought home to me when I did rewatch Return of the Jedi the other day. Oh yeah, no, and I, in like, fact, Return of the Jedi is a shit film. It's pretty bad, and in fact, I had several moments where I was like, "Yeah, you know, I don't think that this is as bad as Return of the Jedi in a lot of ways." So, sure, I mean, there's some stuff that's some serious. No, there, there's, 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 I mean, there's bullshit. Don't get me wrong. Oh, so much bullshit. But at the same time. I maybe I'm doing Star Wars wrong. I actually expect the bullshit, and I can forgive a lot of the bullshit because really, like dumb, stupid coincidences are in the DNA of Star Wars. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, why? What dumb, stupid coincidences were you thinking of? Uh, Luke being Darth Vader's kid and Princess Leia being his sister. Oh, oh, that. Oh, I thought you meant from the the Rise of Skywalker. Oh no, that like the 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 Rey is is Palpatine's granddaughter thing. It's just like stupid. It's <laughs> it's it's a shame cuz it's like, oh, no, that's kind of I mean, I kind of while watching it, I had that thing of like, oh, I get why they had to do it sort of. Like they were kind of like, yeah, we got to we got to do something. I really half wish they had accidental incested us 
you know, the way they did with Luca and Leia. But um, it, would, it would have been hilarious because the internet would have died. Yeah, absolutely. Like, would have melted down. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, I mean, parts of it, I was like, yeah, these guys were charming. That was charming. There was a few parts that was a little confusing. I mean, definitely bringing back the Emperor, I like. I sort of like how spooky, creepy he was. But there was also this thing of, like, he rises up like nine million spaceships from the bottom of the sea or whatever, and I'm like, "What?" It's a space sea, but that's okay because then the rebels come with like a fleet that, you know, where the fuck did that come from as well? So it's fine. Oh, like, yeah. Here's my here's my fake army. Like, sure. Yeah. No, there was there was there was a there was a real weird um, there was a real weird uh vibe to rise of skywalker where uh at a certain point i was and because i was baked i'm like wait a minute is the force capitalism like i really was trying to figure out if that was the metaphor (laughs) they were trying to make because you know there's you know they've got all this stuff where they're uh, one of the things i that really brought home part of why i i feel the sequel trilogy was so um, uh, all over the place is this Star Wars. um, And in a way, I think Lucas had had problems with this in the prequel trilogy is there's no way that economics make any sense in the Star Wars universe, you know, at all, which is kind of fine as long as you keep it in the broad stroke yeah, as long, of, as long as you never really think about it yeah it's kind of like oh you're on a poor planet and then you join the empire so that you can like see the rest of the galaxy or you make wages for your family or whatever but you don't really think about it but there was a little bit just as in um the last jedi you know where the the rebellion are kind of up against it and they're down to just a little dribby drab of forces or something and you're like but you know kind of like but why and similarly there's this whole thing where where kylo ren finally meets palpatine and palpatine's like i'm gonna give you everything that you want and he again he raises all those those uh spaceships out of the ocean i'm like doesn't he already have Doesn't that? Doesn't he have that? Yeah, yeah. you know. Like yeah, what's ca- the difference? It's great, because don't they call it something like the Final Order or something? Yes, it goes from the, the last First Order, order to like the that. Final yeah. Order or something, which it just and it's like, sense. Yeah, I know you're trying to say they've leveled up, Yeah, but it makes no sense. It, You know what would have been great? What would have been much, much, much better would have been if the, if the Rebellion was on the on the verge of getting completely fucked. And then they were approached by Palpatine who was like, let me save you. And the rebellions like, well, we can't side with this guy. And they're like, but if we don't, we're going to get wiped out. So what do we do? And then to spice things up, Palpatine's like, yeah, I mean, you know, I have to do this to save my granddaughter. And everybody's like, what? Oh, shit. That still makes no sense. But at least there's... It's it's a different conflict, right? Yeah, it's a different set of conflicts. Because one of the things that, of course, is crazy about Rise of Skywalker is I can sort of... I go along with it to a certain point. Um, and then there's that whole big moment where, where Palpatine, being the big blabbity mouth, 
is basically like, yeah, so you're going to kill me and then yes, I'm yes. going to possess you. kill me so that I will then possess you. Yeah, I'll possess you with the history of all the Sith. And she's like, you know, he pretty much puts it right there. And she's like, okay, I'm not going to do that. And he's I, like, why would I want to do it? And he's like, oh, come on. Yeah, basically. Just, come on, just do it. Come do, on. Do it. And then I think at one point he's like, you got to do it to save your friends. And you see the friends that are like, you know – has nothing to do with Palpatine whatsoever, other than they're just losing their own little fights. And and Ray's like, yeah, kind of. I'm like, really? Like, I, I'm I'm fascinated by how much they were like, okay, we're gonna lay this all out. But then why would this character do something? It's it's one of those weird. It there's so much that's weird about that movie. But that was the one where I was like, what? Oh. Well, and, and then the whole other weird thing with John Boyega, who, God, I I love that guy. He ended up with his subplot in this one, of course, which was kind of meeting up with another uh, storm another stormtrooper, storm but it goes nowhere. But then it turns out, or maybe, like, I don't know if you know this because this is sort of not in the film, mm-hmm. but that, that woman is Lando's daughter. Oh, is that why? Is that yeah, why? Lando makes a reference to like his his family being kidnapped early on in the film, oh. and at the end you see Lando talking to her, and he's basically like, "Oh, let's find your family." Yes, and apparently there's an entirely excise subplot where it reveals that she is in fact Lando's daughter. Oh man, well I can see why they cut that because as it was, it, she was kind of like, "I was raised as a stormtrooper, and then and then the Force told me." to basically leave and he's like yeah me too and that's why i believe in the force and i was kind of like this was kind of you know because there's a lot of stuff with john boyega in the first force uh awakens where you're like okay he picks up a lightsaber you think he's going to be the one and he's he's not yeah yeah he's the lightsaber guy yeah exactly and then it turns out that he's not and it's it's a good little psych and it was just the way they were going to be like, okay, we're going to wrap this up um, or something where it was. I, and again, I just had this weird thing of like, I don't, I, I don't get it. Like, again, I was kind of high. I'm like, is this supposed to be a subplot about the need for African-American communities to, <laughs> because of capitalism? You know, but, like, but, really. Bless you. Bless like, you, but if you, I think now that you're a little more sober, you will understand that there's no way J.J. Abrams would put that in his film. No, I mean – Exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, yeah. I, I'm going to say something that will get at least like four people listening to this really mad at me. Okay. After seeing Rise of Skywalker and then coming uh, home and watching The Force Awakens and Last Jedi again, mm-hmm. I realized I don't think I like, like Last Jedi. Really? Okay. Well, yeah. Any particular reason why? Um, it's really interesting mm-hmm. and it's beautiful to look at mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's slow as shit and it doesn't necessarily have any kind of momentum. Part of this comes from the fact that I showed the seven-year-old Fort Awakens mm-hmm. and he was totally into it. Right. And I then was like, I don't think I can show him The Last Jedi. Right. Well, Because Last Jedi is... Uh, how can I put this properly? Mm-hmm. Last Jedi rewards Star Wars fans of a certain age. 
Hmm. And very much, I think, is, is made for and made made by Star Wars fans who grew up with the, the, the films in their childhood. Hmm. But I don't think it appeals to a seven-year-old in the same way. Well, no? I think... I, that could be. That could be. I mean, I think. I think part of the thing that might be rough is I don't. The Last Jedi to me is not. It's not very well blended. But I could. I could see a seven year old kind of being into. He, I could. I could tell you the very parts he'd love. Be, but I also know that there's a lot of other stuff in there. Like yeah. that's a long ass film. Yeah, it is. It, fe- you it know? feels. And it's very like long. okay, you're yeah. going to completely fucking lose your mind for. Kylo Ren and Rey in the red room fighting the bad guys with lightsabers and everything is on fire. You'll oh, of lose course. Your mind. Yeah, yeah, You'll yeah. Lose your mind for the space battle at the start. Yeah. You know, you might like Cantabite with the space horses. Mm-hmm. See, I kind of thought maybe he'd be more into it because that's definitely the part where it sort of feels but, like but it's all entering. Of the, but all of the, um, you know, we're being chased down by the First Order. Mm-hmm. You didn't hear that, but there's a big noise right outside my hover right I did hear what sounded did. like a pan yeah. falling over. Yeah. Something happened. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, all the, the, you know, we're being chased and nothing's really happening, but we're being chased stuff. Right, right. Uh, I think would bore the shit out of him. Yeah. I think apart from like the very end, like what holds it does at the very end, he probably think was really fucking cool. Right. Um, honestly, the majority of the Luke stuff he'd probably think was really boring. Right. Right. You know? And that's, again, it appeals to people who grew up with Star Wars. And that's great. Mm-hmm. But for me, even now, in my mid-40s, Star Wars is a series of kids' films. Mm-hmm. And I think The Last Jedi is actually kind of a really bad kids' film. Yeah, I guess I... I no, I, I can see that. I can, well, but I mean, I wouldn't you think... Like, in a th- weird way... The Rise of Skywalker is a better kids film. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. Actually, one of the things is, like I said, I found I found Rise of Skywalker to be, you know, it it just sort of gallops along, and Abrams. I mean, it's it it's it doesn't feel like it lags. There's maybe pieces or two, but generally there's like some stuff that it just sort of keeps galloping along and abrams in a way is uh in a way that may make other people listening to this podcast mad at me is probably about as close as we would get to having steven spielberg do a star wars movie like spielberg had always sort oh, yeah, of kept yeah. half-heartedly promising to you know yeah there's... And, and honestly i think that's more true of force awakens and rise of skywalker which again just has lots of like flaws <laughs> uh, it, well it totally does but i mean i but i think the the sort of the same way that spielberg is able to wallpaper over flaws in his movies by both pacing and also just kind of a real understanding of like what makes actors watchable like i i mean i think i think that of course unsurprisingly adam driver does a really fucking good job in rise of skywalker with a character arc that is just so ridiculously all over the map you know it's like he emotionally sells it even even oscar isaac stuff where oscar isaac has nothing to do but basically be charismatic and abrams oscar isaac exists in that film to be charming yeah exactly and kind of and that was very much abrams is like okay and i know he can do this so i'm going to have him be charming as shit and it and it works there's one or two scenes i mean again the whole 
Carrie Russell is the purple Power Rangers, a little whatever for me. But, you know, but yeah, you know, so there's kind of that thing of there's just a lot of it's just kind of a, a rollicking good time. Like, you know, the the number of things that happen in order just to give it a kind of little bit of a juicy kind of like, oh, now we've hit this particular encounter and things are going to shit because of this and this, you know? It's like, it just gives, like, there's no character arc or development. It's just kind of cool action-y, sequence stuff. Is fine. Last Jedi is, uh, I mean, Last Jedi is the movie that most clearly aligns itself with Empire Strikes Back. And I would argue that Empire Strikes Back is a lousy children's movie too. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I so. remember being bored as shit when I was getting watching it first. Yeah. I totally <laughs> get it. To the, point, to the point where like, even when I watch it now, there's still parts I just don't remember. Mm, really? You know, and there's other parts I am like, what, every single time I watch the film, Jeff, ever, and I've seen it a lot of times, every single time I watch the film, I always feel like there are more scenes in Cloud City than, than there were when I saw it when I was a kid. Oh, wow. I can see that. I can see that because, Jesus, maybe there are. I don't know. Yeah, it's – it's uh, yeah, so it, that's – I don't know. For for whatever it's worth, I remember being really into The Last Jedi. Um Many, like many people are, for so many people, it's like the ultimate Star Wars film. Yeah, but I have, I also have not revisited it since. So, and I think there is something to be said for that is I've never seen, you know, the original trilogy, I saw every movie multiple times. I think with Lucas's prequel trilogy, I might have seen Attack of the Clones technically one and a half times because I think I watched part of it when it was on TBS or something like that. And then, you know, I could see myself sitting down if I was the sort of person that still did this and was like, yeah, I'll watch this trilogy in an afternoon and see how it holds up, you know, because I don't have any bad memories, per se, of The Force Awakens. or And like I said, Last Jedi was, I walked out of there being like, shit, I want to see that again. But instead Yeah, no, of, I, I, I saw know. Last Jedi like two or three, I, at least twice, maybe three times in the theater. Wow. And I can see that if I hadn't caught it so late, like a week before it left, I'm sure I would have done the same. But it, like watching it since, I, I honestly have been like, I just, you know what? I'm just going to fucking fast forward to the bit I want to see. Right. Well, I, I do kind of get that. I do kind of get that because I think as much as um, I like Ryan Johnson, I think that I think his movies are plotted pretty uh, like Looper, which I saw in the theater and I liked is is a badly paced movie. It's kind of weird as shit. And again, in a similar sort of I'm trying to jam every goddamn possible thing into this. Yeah, you know? I, I'm I'm really curious. I want to watch Knives Out again to see if I'm, I'm as impressed with Knives Out on the second viewing. I would be really curious as well, because I do think in some ways Knives Out, Knives Out and Brick, which are my favorites of his, are the closest that are set to genre. So they don't they don't have time to run too far afield, I think. Um, of course, with Knives Out, since it's such a whodunit, I'd be curious to see if it some some whodunits don't always work out because you know, once you find out how it's done, sort of, there's no... Yeah, that's that's why I want to see it again. Mm. I want to be like, okay, now that I know the end... Right. And I can pay attention to the rest of the film. Right. 
Like, what what is it like to watch? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got to say, like, I I really like the Brothers Bloom. Ooh, see, I didn't even mention I hated the Brothers Bloom, and that was Why? I just it was bad. I don't know. Like, I just thought it 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 seemed. I I was just bored by it. It was I thought it was really self indulgent, and I think that there was a, I like it. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Um, I you know I think again I didn't think I didn't think anyone was especially charming in that apart from uh who's okay who was the other brother who's not Adrian it's Brody Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo, right. Mark Ruffalo, I can sort of... But no, I'm sorry, man. No, the Brothers Bloom is like... I mean, I hate to say it, but that's... that's The Brothers Bloom is a, a hocus pocus that... Oh, no. Now now you see me. Now you see me is a better <laughs> version of the Brothers Bloom than the Brothers Bloom, right? Because it's the what, same what thing. I like it for that. I also almost watched uh, Now You See Me Again this week. Oh, man. Yeah, I haven't... I didn't... Wait, did I watch the sequel? I don't know. If no, I but it, it, I, I, that, it was because I saw the sequel this somewhere. I was like, oh, shit. I kind of want to watch the sequel, which I've never seen. But I was like, I would probably have to watch the first one again because I don't remember anything about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, but you haven't watched it? See, I no. th- whereas I think that one... I mean, that's just... I mean, it's... It's a goof, it was it was it's... it was shit. Like, but I remember it being like incredibly easy to enjoy shit. Yes, Jeff, when, it's enjoyable said, shit. Exactly. When yeah. you said self indulgence, you just reminded me. Did I tell you that uh, I saw a film on Netflix last week that I absolutely fucking loved? And I was like, this is great. It's it's a it like it's clearly a forgotten classic. And then I looked up the reviews, only to find out that everyone else, everyone else on the internet, genuinely thinks it's the worst film ever made. What no? Tell me what is this? What is this film? It's inside the war, inside the mind of Charles Swan the Third, Roman Coppola's film starring Jason Schwartzman and Charlie Sheen. Oh right, yeah. So, uh, the reason everyone hates it is actually the reason I like it, which is it is the most self-indulgent, like completely over-the-top non-narrative imaginable. Oh, it is shockingly self-indulgent and yet every single decision it made that was clearly self-indulgent i was like i can take this (laughs) like at no point was i like this makes sense or Mm -hmm. like that's a smart choice right but every single time that Mm -hmm. that roma coppola made the wrong choice i was like yeah good for you (laughs) (laughs) that's fabulous (laughs) I, i it's it's on netflix everyone uh, I do almost recommend people watch it. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I genuinely loved it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You saw CQ, right? Yes, and I loved CQ back, way back when as well. Right, yeah. C- CQ was, I liked a lot, and I also thought was, uh, I think that's probably why I never checked out the follow-up. That and also the fact that I sort of, that might have come around right at the time that Charlie Sheen was... I think, no, I think it was. I think it was literally the time when Charlie Sheen was just, like, being... Because it was 2012, I think? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's literally Charlie Sheen in, like, you know, full toxic. And, <sighs> um, like, he's playing, like, this irredeemable, like, you know, womanizer who has, who's only aware of his, his own feelings. Mm-hmm. 
shit. You know, it, it's it's very much that. It's funny. I watched that and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood back to back. Oh, interesting. And weird enough, it feels like they're the same film. <laughs> um, and also feels like Charles Swan is better. Wow. I was going to ask, what did you think? I you I wrung my hands a lot around Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but um um I think it is <laughs> I said this to Chloe and Chloe did not believe me, but this is genuinely true. I have been aware, you know, for however long it's been mm-hmm. of the Quentin Tarantino has a foot fetish thing. Right. And with the exception of Death Proof, I've never actually noticed it in his films. Like, maybe I'm just not on that level at all. Right. Until this film. Oh, this film really was. Yeah. We're, like, he he's literally, there's entire, like, very long sequences. Again, it's a very long film, Jeff. Yes. Yeah. Breathtakingly long. Yeah. Um, But there's, you know, the bit where, where Margot Robbie goes to see, like, a Sharon Tate goes to see herself in the film, in the cinema. Mm-hmm. And she sticks her foot up, her feet up on the, the chair. Yeah. And the camera is just on her feet. Yeah. For, like, five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which it's... just, like, honestly, I'm watching going, Jesus, shit, has it always been this obvious? And I've never noticed. <laughs> and then, like, two minutes later, there's another scene where Brad Pitt picks up the hitchhiker. Yes. And she takes her shoes off and sticks her feet in the dashboard. And I really was like... Has it really been this bad always and I've never noticed? No. What the fuck? Um, what do I think of it? It's uh, it's not entirely my bag, but for the people whose bag it is, I think they probably lost their minds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it seems very well done mm-hmm. uh, for what it is. Right. But what it is is it's not, not as interesting bag. to me. Yeah. Is as as I think it is to other people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? Like I got bored as shit with all of the Rick Dalton stuff. Mm. But where he's he's shooting the the TV pilot, right? Like, and he spent like a long time, mm-hmm. uh, basically showing you the scenes yes. from the, the pilot. That's right. I died. I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. Can we just see anything else now? <laughs> Can we just anything else? <laughs> Um, you know, so so there's bits, and also there's things where, like the Bruce Lee bit with with um, Brad Pitt's character, mm-hmm. it feels gratuitous. I mean, the entire film is gratuitous, mm-hmm. but it feels additionally gratuitous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and like in a weird bad taste in your mouth way. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, but at the same time, like I. I kept watching, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. there were so many parts in the film where I was like, I'm not really digging this, and yet I couldn't switch it off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. It's got a, it's got an allure. I mostly enjoyed it, you know. Again, stuff that left, there was some stuff that really left bad tastes in my mouth in it, in a lot of it. But, uh, yeah, um, I'm glad you saw it. I'm going to talk a little bit about comics that I read before Please, we I, forget because we've got I, yeah, comics news. I've totally taken far too much of our time away, so yeah. Yes. I, I do want to give a brief shout-out to the first issue of Space is Awful, the saga of John Dennis uh, by Derek uh, Moreland and Derek Fleece. Uh, Derek Moreland is a listener on the show and actually pinged me with a, like, hey, this is up on Comixology Digital do you want to check it out? Uh, I meant to send you a page because he gives us a, a we're an in joke on like page three or four <laughs> or something, which was kind of nice. I'm very happy about that. Yeah. And uh, it was kind of interesting. He had uh, it was supposed to be a, 
a Tharg's thriller submission that uh, he and the uh, that that the two Derricks decided decided to to uh, flesh out into a larger story. So it's a it's a three issue uh, miniseries about a sort of uh, hapless uh, mini smart clerk who uh, essentially is recruited to fight in an intergalactic um, gladiatorial combat thing. I basically enjoyed it more than the reboot of Electric Warriors. Um, your mileage would probably vary. It's like two guys who are still sort of learning the craft and putting it together, but I thought it read pretty well from page to page. Pretty interesting. After you hear the rest of the stuff that I'm talking about, I'm sure that you will probably... Um, uh, look at me dubiously, but um, for any or all of my choices, before I get to the weirdo choices, I should mention, <laughs> of course, the probably the safest choice in terms of me being able to recognize it, uh, recommend it and people being like, yes, OK, I see that. That makes sense is uh, Friday, uh, which dropped from Panel Syndicate by Ed Brubaker and uh, Marcos Martin. And uh, what's Ms. Mustafa's first name? Do you remember? Uh, Monsanto, right? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Wait, where is it? Where is I can't even. It's, this... it's not Munsa Vincente? Uh, it is. It, it is. It's, it's Munsa Vicente, who does wonderful colors. So Friday is a um, really charming start to a series, which is sort of Ed Brubaker taking... Mixing, I guess, the shortest of shorthands would be um, the young adult novels of our youth, be they Harriet the Spy or the Hardy Boys or especially an Encyclopedia Brown vibe to it. Crossing it with a Lovecraftian horror and also a mix of what uh, Brubaker calls post-YA. And of course, seeing the sort of... Um, Martin working in a kind of gory esque vibe. Um, He's lovely. Yeah, just great. So it's a really, it's a really inspired mix, and it's got a lot of the stuff that I love about Brubaker. So it'll be interesting if there will be stronger things from it as it goes on uh, i when i say stronger i mean i feel like martin's um design work his illustrations are lovely but the storytelling is relatively subdued i mean unsurprisingly because i think brew baker is a dude who has a lot of plot and a lot of things to move along um and it just kind of i'm hoping as the issues go on we'll get more sort of wide open storytelling craziness from martin but that was great people i'm sure everyone listening knows that that's out but if not get over to panel panel syndicate and uh you can download an issue at a pay what you want price even if that price is uh zero um you read it and quite liked it, Graham, didn't you? I, I, yeah, I read it and actually really, really loved it. In large part, I mean, I like the story a lot, mm -hmm. but just visually, that comic is beautiful. Yes, like utterly, utterly beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was uh, Bill Reed over on our Twitter uh, tipped us off to the fact that um, due to a weird pricing error. error the um, Bronze Age Swamp Thing Volume 1 
uh, was priced digitally at 99 cents on Amazon. So I, I picked that up. up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had read most of the, well, a certain chunk of the, the lean Len Wein, Bernie Wrightson swamp thing. It was kind of interesting to reread and to revisit, um, and just kind of be sort of, uh, it, it's funny. I don't think I, I'd read only a few pieces of it. I, I, I was aware of Swamp Thing as a character before um, Alan Moore took over Saga of the Swamp Thing. Like Swamp Thing had popped up as supporting characters in other people's books. I might have picked up some of the post, like either the Martin Pascoe stuff that immediately preceded uh, Moore or some of the stuff that happened after, I want to say Ween left but I don't know who was who might have been writing it. Anyway, all of which is to say, uh, man, that stuff is also quite pretty to look at. I can imagine mm-hmm. how it really knocked a lot of people's socks off because seeing Bernie Wrightson do some of that work, um, especially God only knows how he got it done on the schedule that he did. But uh, just sort of reading that an issue or two at the time, very fun. I think I told you I read the oh I didn't I read Warlord and I read Outsiders from uh, first issue special and then i moved into the manga and at first i was like oh boy thanks to the uh kodansha 99 cent volume one sale i figured i would have a ton of different manga to talk to you about graham but oh in fact i should mention another thing that came out digitally is uh antarctic press um started republishing catch it one by uh motofumo i saw Kobayashi. you on super excited by that uh which is funny because i had someone who was able to pass me the the old uh, uh american trades but i was great it was just really thrilling to see them again for people who don't know catch it one is a um is military fiction it's set in the vietnam war it is heavily uh researched um and the best thing about it is well i don't know if it's the best thing but just as you would want from a well-crafted piece of um well-researched military fiction uh the vietnamese are portrayed as cats and the americans are portrayed as rabbits which is just amazing. Cute, adorable rabbits running around with like, you know, completely detailed uh, M- M16s. I don't think they were actually using the M16 very much back then. I don't remember. But anyway, delightful. It, like it's it's if you want to see rabbits swearing, um, it's just it's the and. I'm just I'm so bummed that we'll never get to see them cross over with the Punisher, which A, I would love and B, part of me also kind of hopes that Garth Ennis will somehow get the rights to to actually because I think he might be down. I could see him being down with Catch It <laughs> One and I don't know if anyone's ever introduced him to it. it they must have. Um so from the, I want to say the sublime to the ridiculous, but from the ridiculous to the more ridiculous, uh, there's this manga called From the New World, which I picked up, um, honestly, the first volume a million months ago. It's a story by uh, Yusuke Kishi and art by uh, Toru Oikawa. 
I started reading from the New World uh, basically because I'm like, huh, it's it's a science fiction manga with a teenage girl uh, wearing booty shorts. How wrong can it go? It, it the first volume was really weird, Graham. I did not enjoy it at all. Like it seemed to be, it was. Sort <laughs> did you of, read a Did you read a second volume? Because you, you just said I didn't enjoy it all, and I honestly feel like you read say, but the second one, the second one really does turn it around. And by the end of the third volume, I was like, shit, I'm kind of hooked. Because what I didn't realize is from the new world. Uh, starts off seeming kind of like your average science fiction manga in the sense that there are a bunch of teenagers who are like uh, who are live in this utopian society there's this village where everyone is sort of um lives in happiness and there is a rope that essentially a border rope that surrounds the entire township that nobody's allowed to go out beyond. And um, these five uh, pals basically are in the process of, because it's, it's a little bit like the Inhumans. Once they reach puberty, they begin to manifest uh, uh, psychic powers. And mm -hmm. Um, so what happens is the, the heroine of the story, uh, even though she has started to hit puberty, she has not manifested any power. She's very bummed because she wants to be like the rest of her friends. And of course, one of her best friends has the most amazing amounts of psychic power and is incredible and crazy. And essentially what happens is, uh, very early on. Her friend who shows so much power, she is essentially the village takes her from her little, it's called magic, even though it's, you know, psychokinetic stuff. Um, she shows so much magical power that the, that the elders of the village essentially kill her and then wipe her memory uh, from, uh, from the minds of, of everyone in the village. So... Then after that, you get a sort of field trip where the friends who have forgotten their friend altogether decide to go past the rope and discover um, a race of sentient pig people. Anyway, on top of this is dollops and dollops of really gratuitous uh, lesbianism. And I was kind of like, okay. This seems like a manga that is so goddamn desperate to um, basically keep its readers. It'll just throw anything at the wall to make it stick. You know, it's kind of like, oh, here's here's evil Harry Potter. Oh, here's a here's a nude bathing scene. Oh, here's a sequence of disgusting pig people waging war on one another because. I don't know, Attack on Titan. So by the time I got to the end of the volume, I'm like, Bleh. why I picked up the second volume, I can't really say, by which I mean it was on sale and I was thinking maybe there'd be more lesbianism. But what ended up happening, Graham, was it totally 
started coming together in a very weird way. Part of what helped was they ripped off an action sequence from Watership Down. And I'm like, okay, if you're going to be daring enough to actually take... And at that point, I was like, well, wait a minute. The first part was kind of like Watership Down, too, except with gratuitous lesbianism and weird... You're like, I'm in. I didn't realize. Right. Exactly. That's all I need. (laughs) That was the missing ingredient. I'm starting to realize... I'm going to call this episode Rabbits, 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 I realize, because between (laughs) Watership Down and Cat Shit 1... So it turns out that From the New World is actually was a science fiction novel and then uh, was turned into both a manga and an anime, which were huge hits. But the thing that's crazy is as From the New World goes on, you're like, oh, this is this is one of those weirdo science fiction, quote unquote, novel of ideas, because by the time you find out why the village exists and what all the gimmies are, you're like, oh, that kind of makes sense. And suddenly there's a discussion of Bonobos and you're like, wait a minute. And and the author's like, that's right, Jeff. The lesbianism is built into the plot. It's totally thematically important gratuitous lesbianism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That is the best dubious mm-hmm, I've ever heard. So anyway, I ended up enjoying the first three volumes of that, but not as much as I ended up enjoying uh, Watakoi, Love is Hard for Otaku, of which, um, again, I picked up the first volume for 99 cents. And then just this week, they very smartly put the other volumes on sale. So um I ended up buying all three volumes and most of which are double sized. It's created by a, 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 an author, Fujita. I don't know if that's a man or a woman, but kind of interesting in that it was essentially a web manga published on Pixiv, P-I-X-I-V, which is a, a web manga portal mm-hmm. and ended up becoming popular enough that it was picked up turned into a, a legit manga series, or at least collected in volumes, and then moved on to become an anime. One of the things I think I had told you about when talking about, say, uh, Blissful Land from a couple of weeks ago, about how much I just sort of wanted gentle manga, where not much was going on, or like My Pink is Overflowing, which is like has almost no drama whatsoever, the Love is Hard for Otaku is a book that is a, 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 it's a romantic comedy in which two different type of uh, otaku, uh, uh, male and female, decide to date for convenience um, in part because the woman has to keep hiding the fact that she's an otaku and whenever you know her cool boyfriends find out they just dump her. So she ends up taking up with this other otaku who's she's known since junior high. Turns out he's basically in love with her. And to make things even kind of um, less stressful, the two people that they're hiding, they're super, they're hiding their ostensibly hiding their relationship and their status as otaku from are their work supervisors 
who it later turns out to also be different types of otaku and also in a relationship. <laughs> so imagine, if you will, like kind of, I don't know, Star Wars, where the Death Star is more or less blown up in the first 15 minutes, and then it's just everyone hanging out. So there's no... There's no drama. It's literally the four of them hanging out and and having sort of uh, comedic hijinks together based on essentially each other's love for different types of um, fanish interests and, and how well that laps or overlaps. It also helps in a way that although the four are... Um, they're all they're all friends and buddies and they're all hanging out doing stuff together they're all sort of um vaguely more attracted to the other person in the other relationship than they are to the person that they're with i mean the person that they're with they're attracted to and in love with but their their type their actual physical type is um is sort of crossed so you'll get sequences hence the drama Yes, but there is no drama. Oh, I was going to say, my hence, God. hence the almost drama. Yeah, there's there's a lot of almost drama. There's one or two little fun story hooks that they set up in it, but um, it it's just adorable. It was just great fun. I have to admit that I have been reading that and super solidly uh, enjoying it. I'm also reading and enjoying, although it is a kind of uncomfortable experience, 1122 for a happy marriage which i don't even let me see who the creator on this one is uh pico watanabe is the creator of 1122 for a happy marriage this is a story about a husband and wife that have married for seven years that are a good couple but have basically become sexless uh they have no children um, and so the husband is given permission by the wife to enter into an affair and sort of in the course of their, her sort of trying to wrap her brain around what she wants from marriage, um, and how much sex should or shouldn't play a role in it. Uh, it's an incredibly melancholy manga. I cannot believe that it apparently has at least six volumes uh, in print. Maybe there are more, but I am midway through the second part and it's it's remarkably depressing because on the one hand, and maybe this is as as a dude in a childless marriage seeing a couple in a childless marriage where they get along very well but also don't quite have it still and whether or not they can get it back is uh it's you know it's a it's a it's a little disquieting and again a very melancholy read a lot of scenes of people getting drunk and and pushing tears out of the corners of their eyes when they think no one else is looking kind of thing. Um, so yeah. So basically back to, I guess the sublime again, um, from all of the ridiculousness, but, uh, yeah, I really loved, uh, love is hard for otaku. I really respected 
1122 for a happy marriage. And from the new world, I thought was an absolute garbage fire that I'm already trying to figure out how the hell I can get the fourth volume without having to pay even a sale price for it. So, and with that comic news, <laughs> I, I want comic news. Do you want to talk about? Cause there's really just one piece. I, I, here's the thing. We didn't record an episode last week. The week before that, I can't remember like where we are in comics news. Had like DC's alternate distribution plans happened at that point? Um, I don't think that it had had it had it because I think our I don't last think, episode I don't think was that it a block. Yeah, so yes. Um, so so okay. So a short version for people who don't know because this isn't really what I want to talk about. I want to talk about Marvel. Um, and that's DC... not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about other news that it sounds like you don't know about. Except oh. you do know about it, it's probably just not news to you. Keep going. Okay. Uh, the DC news, very briefly, is that they are, I would say, like really heavily pushing, like, to return and mm-hmm. to put out new content. They are working with two new distributors, um, Lunar and UCS, uh, and who literally split the country like half and half. Mm-hmm. Um, to get limited releases out for the next three weeks. Uh, I happen to know it's it's more than three weeks, but they've not properly announced that yet. Mm. Um, but th- basically, Marvel uh, DC is back as of this Wednesday, uh, this Tuesday, in fact, not even this Wednesday. Wow. Um, but they're only doing like five or six books a week. Right. And it's relatively low ticket items. Mm-hmm. Uh, because honestly, I think they're stress testing the new system. Mm-hmm. I know that a lot of people are like, how dare they not put out like the big ticket items? Because if you did, if they did, you'd be really upset that they're doing that when stores aren't open. So uh, six, one, half a dozen of the, of the other. They're also, um, DC also announced they're doing uh, new digital first books every day of the week from now on. Wow, really? Gosh. Yes, and it, they're called Digital First, but they're actually the stories that have appeared in the Giants. Oh, I noticed some of those popping up. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and that, but that's every day of the week now. They're they're going to have new digital content every single day. Huh. Uh, starting on started last Monday, and then from now on. So, for example, if I wanted to read um, the Superman story. Um, it's it's from the most recent wave, so it's not the Tom King th- stuff oh, okay. with uh, Andy Cooper. It's not the Bender stuff with Nick Darrington. Right, it's stuff that has not been released in print in the drag market, and both I those see. stories have. I see. Um, but they have been released in the mass market as part of the Walmart specials. Right, and Walmart I can drag. buy them for ninety nine cents or ninety nine cents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, and so and. To the best of my knowledge, and I have no insider info, I'm just going on on the PR. Mm-hmm. Um, it's literally going to get to a point where it's going to be all new material that's going to come out daily. Wow! Like stuff that hasn't appeared hmm. in in the Giants, um, but they basically ramped up the material they had mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in order to get the stuff out. Sure. So DC, DC is 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 pushing out. Mm-hmm. Um, DC is also one of the two main movers behind the new Bink Fund. Mm-hmm. It's called Comic Book United that was announced this week, which is taking the quarter of a million that DC put to Bink and the 100,000 that Lionforge and Oni put to Bink mm-hmm. um, and combining them into one fund that's also going to have Jim Lee's eBay auction money and the creators for comics money. Mm-hmm. It's all going into this fund. Mm-hmm. This fund is only going to be available for um, independent bookstores and independent comic stores in the US. Mm-hmm. And any of those stores can actually just go to 
the Bink website and find how to apply for for funding. Mm. That's that's open right now for them mm-hmm. to do, mm-hmm. uh, which is also kind of a big deal. Yeah. Um, so that's DC's news. Marvel's news, on the other hand, is nothing, and there's a reason for that. Really? <laughs> yes. Um, so I said on Twitter last week, like, why isn't Marvel doing anything? Mm-hmm. Like, this is weird. It's weird to me that Marvel is not doing anything. Right. Um, that they've not announced like any plans to to reschedule books or any plans to stagger books. They've announced that they're they're putting books on hold. Mm-hmm. They've put roughly twenty five percent of their line on hold. Mm-hmm. Uh, with and far more than that in terms of monthly output. Because before they put fifteen to twenty percent of their line, which ended up being a third of their monthly output, mm-hmm. and then they added an additional, uh, I think it was ten to twenty percent after that. Mm. So like a lot of the of Marvel's line is on hold, mm-hmm. um, uh, but they haven't said anything beyond that. And I was like, this is really weird. Marvel, to my mind, is the more proactive company, mm-hmm. and they've done nothing, mm-hmm. like nothing at all. It's shocking to me. And so I started looking into it, and I had the weirdest week, Jeff. <laughs> so I'm talking to Marvel creators, and Marvel creators are like, uh, one creator who will, shall remain nameless uh, actually told me all my books are still going fine, so I don't know what you're talking about. Mm. So thanks, that creator. You're <laughs> <a> dick. Um, <laughs> other creators told me basically like I don't know. I don't have any insight into what they're planning. Mm-hmm. Like I know some things are going on hold. I know some things aren't. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then I talked to people who weren't in Marvel but who are definitely connected to people in Marvel. Mm-hmm. And they basically go, so Marvel's essentially shutting down. Wow. And I'm like, no. And they're like, no, Marvel's Marvel's like being furloughed. Mm-hmm. And this this is known. It's known that some of Marvel was going to be furloughed as as the Disney part of the larger Disney furlough. Yeah, Disney furlough. Yeah, right. And I'm like, okay, but how bad is it? And I get differing answers from different people. But again, all of these people are people that, for me, had been trusted sources. Right. And I get anywhere from fifty to seventy five percent of Marvel is going to be furloughed. Oof. Right. And I'm I'm reaching out to Marvel, and I'm like, okay, I, you've got to talk to me. <laughs> Right, like I'm hearing crazy shit. You have to talk to me, mm-hmm. and they're not responding at all. And the more they don't respond, the more I'm like, shit, this has to be true. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's what's happening. They're like they've been furloughed. Mm. Um, and so basically, I prep a story, which is like anywhere from half to three quarters of Marvel is basically out of out of business. Right. The furlough is indefinite. It is your pencils down entirely. You're not getting paid, but you are getting health insurance. Mm-hmm. Until further notice. Mm. Um, and it takes effect uh, as we are recording tomorrow. Mm. It's April 26th. Okay? And I am basically ready to pull the trigger in the story. Right. And I get an email from Marvel and they're like, we'll talk to you off the record. And I'm like, great. Right. This is what I want. Mm-hmm. Short version, Jeff, I was giving wildly overestimations uh, of how many people are being furloughed. Oh, really? It is not that bad. Mm. It is bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. Uh, there are multiple reports today, uh, basically because it looks like Bleeding Cool and CBR both paid attention to a Guardian report that actually came out earlier in the week, mm-hmm. where the Guardian said it was 50% of Marvel. To the best of my knowledge, it is not 50% of Marvel. Wow. It is close. Really? It is very close, but wow. it is not 50%. Jeez. Um, it is people all over publishing. To the point where uh, 
do, do I say a name? Do I want to break news here, Jeff? I don't know, Graham. This will be um, up tomorrow night, so... Yeah, you know what? I'm going to. Uh, John Nee has apparently been furloughed. Mm. He's Marvel's publisher these days. Really? Yeah. Um, so it's it's going fairly high up, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not 50%. It's mm. just under 50%. Holy smokes, though. Um, no, exactly. Uh, apparently, publishing has been affected, but other parts of Marvel have been affected more. Hmm. Um, which makes sense. Like I've talked to people at other parts of Disney, mm-hmm. and it's the the furloughs are completely uneven. Mm-hmm. It's not as simple as like we're taking twenty five percent of everyone. Mm-hmm. It's really like, well, this department we don't really have anything for you, so you're entirely furloughed. Right. This department we need a skeleton crew, so it's seventy five percent. This department, no, we only need like twenty percent furloughed. Wow. Um, and that seems to be true inside Marvel as well. Mm-hmm. But Marvel Publishing is under 50%, but just under 50%. Jesus, grief. Um, have been furloughed. Mm. Uh, and this, and the fact that Disney is being like astonishingly conservative in terms of, like, it's an incredibly rich company. It's like the biggest company. It is, and but they, it's also crazily over-leveraged, isn't it? Yes. And so they have literally just been like, okay, fuck this shit. Which mm-hmm. is why we've not seen anything of them doing, like, of them working on the scale of... of DC. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. DC has given, like I said, quarter of a million dollars to funds. Right. They are keeping everyone working. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a report in Bleeding Kill that it's pencil down to DC, and it's not. Like, mm-hmm. it's just not. Like, projects have been paused, and then people have been putting other stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, DC is, is like starting publishing print again next, next Tuesday. Right. You know, uh, they're putting new digital stuff in. So, like, DC's been very aggressive, and Marvel has done none of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, reading between the lines, Marvel has done none of that because they can't. Right, right. Um, because, they're like, there's going to be, you know, just over half of Marvel still working. Right? But if Diamond returns when Diamond is supposed to return, and Diamond's now looking at May 20th for return... Mm-hmm. They're going to burn through what Diamond has in its its warehouse within like three weeks. Right, right. And so new products are going to have to come out. But what is that product? Right. Right? You know, as I said before, Marvel's put a shit ton of titles on pause. Mm-hmm. hmm How are they going to structure what's coming out again? What Like when will we find out what's on pause? Mm-hmm. When will we find out when it ramps up again? Right. All of this is unknown. Mm-hmm. But I really, like, as of, like, Thursday morning, I was ready to run a story of being, like, 75% of Marvel is probably being furloughed. Wow. And then we're like, no, no, it's not true. Holy smokes. That's just, that's just crazy to contemplate. Like, I mean. And the other thing is, like, yeah. you know, people always talk about Marvel being an industry leader, and they're not. Mm-hmm. They're a market leader. Mm-hmm. But when you look at their utter lack of response to what's happening, mm-hmm. you can't call them an industry leader anymore because they have done nothing besides put stuff on hold. Right, right, yeah. Literally nothing. Mm-hmm. They haven't done anything that we know of to support creators, to mm-hmm. support retailers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to to do anything. They haven't really issued public statements. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of shocking they've done none of that, but also kind of understandable if they themselves have no fucking idea what's happening. Right, right. 
Well, and I, I mean, you know, that's that's always been Marvel has, you know, kind of Marvel's always kind of been out for Marvel. I mean, that's always been their very consistent approach. So, you know, the idea that they would be doing anything for retailers, I mean, you know, they're their first offers were like what giving them discounts or something yes you know? they, they upped the discount that was yeah. their that was their i think to date only statement about this yeah which is we'll give you more of a discount yeah so you know so yeah i think i think that it's just not surprising now dc my understanding is is it's still somewhat i mean they're doing a lot but uh, there, those two distributors you mentioned, I thought that I had read that aren't they both essentially larger mail order retailers? Yeah, mail yes. order retailers. Yes, they are. I mean, that's kind of uh, that's gonna cause a problem somewhere down the line. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would think that a lot of smaller indie retailers would be incredibly reluctant to open a shipping account with their competitors competitors yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You know? and also the other thing that i'm really looking forward to is how, how does diamond respond to this because so far diamond has been hilariously petty about this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point where so dc when they said we're we're we've got these new two distributors we're putting products out starting april 28th Right. They also said all your existing orders with Diamond for this product is cancelled. Mm. So you're not going to get stuff twice. All of it's cancelled. Right. And then Diamond put a statement being like, no, it's not. Really? <laughs> Which was fucking hilarious. <laughs> and then today they backed down and they actually put a statement being like, okay, because DC wants it to, it's cancelled. And you can just hear them being like whiny teenagers. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Diamond's, Diamond is going to be... Um, like how Diamond acts about this is going to be fascinating, especially because remember that you know these two things. So so the the retailers end up being um, Lunar is Discount Comic Book Service, and UCS is Midtown Comics. Mm-hmm. Two of the biggest retailers mm-hmm. uh, in the drag market. Mm-hmm. Diamond can't afford to piss them off either. Right. Right. But you know that Diamond's going to do something. But again, Diamond can't afford, because Diamond, remember, nine days after shutting down, said they couldn't afford to pay vendors because they had cash flow problems. Right. So right. Diamond is, you know, precarious to say the least. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so I mean, this is this is all uh, a brave, open brackets, read terrifying, close brackets, new world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like the, there's there's a lot going on here where, for all we know, Diamond is close to going bust. Mm-hmm. Marvel is shutting down mm-hmm. or half shutting down. Mm-hmm. But they've put so much of their line on hold as well. Mm-hmm. Right? Stuff, stuff that has already been solicited. Oof. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, which in, in turn also means like they're furloughing creators. Mm-hmm. Right, who wouldn't have been able to take other jobs because right. this this Marvel job, right? Um, yeah, we're we're in this this strange strange place. I'm super curious, Chef. What is the comics news you want to talk about? Oh, the comics news that I wanted to talk about was something that just sort of came about 
I feel on the last day or two of uh, Twitter, which is that essentially that that no brow comics. Uh, oh yes, y- yeah, is kind of a oh, very bad a predator. Yeah, <laughs> basically is a predator. That even though that they are a company that is um, largely funded by a billionaire's son, they grotesquely underpay creators and in some cases actually just promise them the old proverbial exposure in their no-brow anthologies um and either either a pittance or not even a pittance but reports jumping around of them paying something horrifying like two or three thousand dollars for an ogn you know uh which is a horrifically dinky advance yes yeah Um, and, and the royalty rate was terrible yeah and the, oh right and the royalty rate so they that was kind of a that was a shocker to me and also and and very kind of a bummer but um it really was i like no brows output a lot yeah. and it really did appear that no brow was basically finding talent that has not been published yet offering them i mean nothing yeah. like three thousand dollars for a 144 page graphic novel yeah yeah it's is I mean, appalling, like yeah. genuinely appalling. Yeah. Um, and 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 just and in some cases, then stiffing them after that. Yes. Yeah. You so, know. Right. Um, yeah. Is is and it's it's such a shame because, like I said, I like No Bros Output. Mm-hmm. But Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. Yeah. There there were um, photo like screenshots of emails uh suggesting that they you know the publisher was openly exhorting the editor editors to more or less um put uh, uh, what they called um coattail writers which is to say other um small publishers like do their best to freeze them out which is disturbing because no brow is also aligned with is it some event in the uk are you yeah familiar? it's lcaf i don't even know what yes. it was but it's because of lcaf that all this came out exactly because the way oh right because part of what it was was lcaf which is a the east london comics arts festival which no brow puts on they were going to do a if I understand things correctly, a virtual one here because of COVID. But what was happening was they were charging people money to more or less put up their portfolios. And they're like, yes, you can just link to my page. Why do I have to pay you like $200? And in the course of talking and complaining that people basically came out and, and outed them as, you know, as using LCAF as a way to, to to spot talent and then, you know, <laughs> brazenly exploit them. So it's, that was, that was a, that was a shocker. Like you said, no problem. It, it was a shocker and it was, it was a, it was a genuinely rough one because, you know, I've always, I, well, maybe mm-hmm. not always, but since I found out about them, I've always been, yeah you know, oh, they're putting out really good work. They're putting out really interesting stuff. I really like how they are coming up with these new creators that I've yeah. never heard of. Mm-hmm. And then it, it's basically like they're doing it because those are the only people who will agree to it. And then they're exploiting the shit out of them. Yes, exactly. 
And on top like, of did it, you see, did you see yeah. the original email thread where Lucy Haslam was talking about it? And she says like she didn't give the money; the, the actual dollar figure came later. But she said yeah. that like Nobrow takes all media rights; they own the print rights for seven years. Oh, jeez! And, then they, and then they block you from other publishers. Ooh. They basically try and blacklist you with other publishers. Wow! Whoa! No, Which I didn't. Just see that. yeah. I mean, shocking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, some pretty shit practices. And again, there's on top of that, there's this thing of they are um they're they're well healed, you know, on top of everything else, you know, as as rapidly as becoming the the popular refrain of 2020, um it's it's billionaires exploiting others <laughs> for their own profit. And it's like, oof. so I wanted to mention that because I wasn't I read it, read chunks, bits and pieces across Twitter yesterday. And I was it kind of blew my mind as well as, as I said, bumped me out. So I wanted to men- make sure that we mentioned it on the show. For- yeah, I honestly, I'd, I'd forgotten about it. And then when you said it, I was like, oh, shit, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's um, it's really depressing. Mm-hmm. It's really, really depressing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. I don't know. I'm torn between I hope they get their shit together and I hope they go out of business. (laughs) Well, see, I mean, that's it. It doesn't – that's part of my problem is it doesn't sound like it's, oh, I don't know, say Tundra where they were well-funded but, you know, spectacularly, um, you know, unfocused and there was a lot of passive-aggressive – purse tightening and loosening happening from the top and it was just a kind of a classic mismanaged shit show that ended up wasting millions and millions of dollars it seems a lot more um sadly deliberate than that so it it definitely doesn't feel like getting their shit together is necessarily oh, no, no. an option it, 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 it feels very much exploitative yeah uh and malicious yeah exactly so uh yeah, kind of harrowing. Jeff Lester, Graham McMillan. We have come to the end of this fantabulous journey. Oh, we've we've talked crazy. for two hours. You, I see. You see. Oh, you're like. Oh, I thought we were going somewhere. <laughs> we're going home. That's what we're doing, everyone. I'm I, I'm wrapping it up. We've talked for two hours, which is when I start to get really self conscious that we've talked for too long. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you ever get that, or is it just me? Uh, you know, it's weird. Like I I can talk about I. I with me, it's varying degrees of did, did I have something relatively good to contribute? And if I did or didn't, like, if I feel like I did, I'm like, yeah, it took five hours to get there, but we got there. Whereas if we didn't, like, we could be talking for 16 minutes and I'm like, oh, God, what's wrong with me? Exactly. Wrap go. it up. Wrap right. it up. Yeah. Now. Jesus, Graham, <laughs> just save us. Save us. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to save everyone i'm going to save us i'm going to save the listeners by saying hey show us for this is going to be on wait what podcast.com uh when jeff puts it live because he's really fucking organized uh you can also check out wait what instagram.com forward slash wait what pod even though again i haven't uploaded anything like there's a quarantine going on things are weird okay things are just strange you've been Please. awesome on the tumblr though there's See, tons I, of people responding to our twitter account because we cross post there and i'm like yeah, oh yeah, you said Twitter? At Wait What Podcast on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Jeff is on Twitter. Uh, at LazyBastid, at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I'm on Twitter, at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. I, again, 
lost my train of thought midway through spelling my own name. It happens every episode. I can't explain. What can I say? I don't spell my own name often out loud. Yeah. Ben, um, that's us. We're also a patron supported podcast. So, Jeff, take it. You guys are awesome. Um, I uh, try not to get too much performance anxiety over the fact that um, uh, that there are people who listen to us. And, you know, there's times where I just have to settle for the idea that most of you um, will are willing to put up with me for being me for those times where I don't have something brilliant and awesome to say. Uh, even though Graham is here Jeff's, and Jeff's is always the, excellent. Jeff's so... Jeff's just don't listen to Jeff's self-loathing. No, I just that's <laughs> the best. Just do it, Jeff. Jeff, he's our man. Oh if he, man, if podcast. Oh, then I have a podcast because he's the one that does the, the, the everything. What? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, back back to what you're saying, Jeff. Indeed. Anyway, so yes, on this chain, on this enabling chain. Just as as Graham needs me, I I need you guys, uh, and you always manage to deliver. I always enjoy talking and discussing uh, with um, you wonderful folks via Twitter or through uh, email. Uh, and then we also have the people on uh, over on uh, Patreon who uh, do all of the above and also throw us a, an insy smidge of cash. Um, I was very happy to throw in a couple of issues of hit comics on the Wait What Comic Book Club uh, during our skip week. It was a few days late, but it was kind of exciting to talk about Kid Eternity and E. Nelson Bridwell and, and uh, gosh, what were they called? Buck and Swab and um, Betty, was it Betty Beanie? What the hell was her name? Oh, a- anyway. Her Highness, which basically just talking about all the characters jammed into one 64-page comic book. And so, of course, I uploaded two. So that was like 128 pages of comics that I sort of tried to get your way that I hope you guys enjoyed because you really are awesome. Uh, You keep us, uh, if not focused focused at least focused enough to um keep doing this podcast uh, which continues to be rewarding to me we also do bonus podcasts like our read through of the first 416 issues of the fantastic four baxter building which uh we wrapped up in a timely 50 issues and drock our current read through of the uh judge dread the complete case files which i'm starting to come to terms with i will probably be doing for the rest of my life um and that's a good thing, actually, because it's been pretty amazing so far. I want to give special thanks out to friend of the podcast, Dominic L. Franco, and Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. We're especially grateful for your guys' uh, continuing support of this podcast, as well as Empress Audrey's continuing support of this neck of the galactic realm. Kind of wish she would micromanage a little bit and take care of, you know, some of this covid situation but as far as i can tell no large meteors have struck the earth or are planning to anytime soon and um we think that that's all thanks to her galactic uh paw thank you graham buck and swab yep buck and swab oh hey for people who are not sick of the sound of my voice i am on the shelf dust podcast this week Ooh, uh, it's going live on monday i think 
That's great. I can't remember what comic I'm talking about. I think I'm talking about JLA issue one. I say that because we recorded two episodes. Two episodes. I don't know which which one's going up. I think it's JLA issue one. Right. And the the Morrison Porter issue. Hmm. Um, But that was a lot of fun. And and yeah, if you're not sick of the way I sound, then do that. And if you're really not sick of the way I sound, I did a 2008 podcast a couple of weeks ago that you can go and listen to as well. Ooh, that's nice. By the way, it was Betty Bates. She's like the female DA that also like knows how to KO a Joe and uh, Sir Roger, who's there's a lot of hobos and con men in these issues. I got to say, where is Buck and Swab? Just like life. Oh, it's Bob Just and Swab. Like I knew I got it wrong. It's Bob and Swab. One's a Marine. That's, the other's wait, a Navy mm, man. Mm, Bob you, and it's, I, Buck and Swab sounds better. You think so? Hmm, that's very kind of you. Uh, anyway, Bob and Swab. They're they're two good-hearted slobs, not unlike ourselves. Uh, I guess we're going to be back next week with another wait. What and then it's a rock, or is it the other way around? Uh, no, I'm fairly sure that's what we're doing. I think we're 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 wait wetting it again this week, and I promise I'm going to read something other than DC Comics from 15 years ago. Oh my God, Graham, what were you thinking? Yes, and I promise to do at least read more of more different fairy please, manga. Pl- no, please read more. Like weird manga porn <laughs> that you then pretend that like you're not into for the porn part of it. I'm not. And you're like, Graham. but you're like, but narratively, it's completely well earned, dude. That, I mean, that's the dichotomy of us here. It totally, it's true. It's true. I started off reading it for the porn, but the fact is, by the time From the New World gets to volume three, and it's basically. Uh, New Mutants meets Logan's Run with a healthy dose of Watership Down. Uh, You're like, I was on board. Well, exactly. I'm like so on board. I mean, plus it is kind of funny how much once I, because I do sort of wonder if the original novel did have as much lesbianism gratuitously because it really trails off by the time of volume three. And it's like, oh, interesting. In fact, they write this character out, do they? Hmm. Anyway, but yes, I will try to find more wacky weirdness stuff to read. Um, by which I mean I will probably read whatever is the um, lowest stress manga that's entirely about romantic couples hanging out and spending 78 fucking pages um, about whether or not they're going to kiss. So that's, that's my thing these days. So. Uh, yeah, so we'll see you guys next time. Graham, did you want to say anything or just cut to the singing of out? I want to say that I feel that this episode, in a weird way, is the I like the the essence of wait what? Oh dear! In a in a terrifying way, I think that we've crystallized exactly what this podcast is. <laughs> um, and on that note, bye. <laughs> dun dun dun.